word. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, would your glorious gospel become real to us in and through the person of Jesus? That as the scriptures are opened, our hearts would be open to receive the word you have for us. That any distraction, anything that may take our attention away from you, that in this moment we would be captivated by your word and that your word would accomplish what you want it to do. We thank you, Lord, that your word is living and active. That it changes us. We trust this morning that even as our Bibles are open, that you would do that amongst us as your people are gathered. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you guys can be seated. Well, how's it? You guys doing all right? Three of you are doing good. The rest of you, I'm not sure what's up. I know there's, I was expecting an epic south swell to be rolling in. It hasn't yet happened yet, so I'm a little bit bummed, but... Uh, glad to be gathered, glad to be worshiping Jesus with you this morning. Um, just want to say aloha to you for, for the Shorebreak Church Ohana. We're, we're really humbled and thankful that you've taken your time to be with us. And, and if you're new and if you're visiting and if you don't have a church that you call home, even if you don't know Jesus, even if you're not sure what you believe about Jesus, we are so thankful to have you here. And um, we, we really believe that what we're going to talk about today is what we believe as a church, and there's actually probably not a better Sunday you could come to hear and uh, to hear what we believe about Christians. I'm going to get excited. I got a little bit loud last service. I'm not yelling at you. I'm just really excited what we're talking about in the Bible. So uh, just just warning you, but this is a, a place where we want you to know you can be, you can come, you can attend, you can hear God's Word. Um, before we get into God's Word, I um, wanted to just present to you guys something that has been in the workings for the last couple of few months, actually. Uh, David Shishikin, some of you know him, a lot of you don't know him, but David Shishikin has uh, really uh, been stepping into leadership responsibilities as far as helping out the host team, greeting people, welcoming people in the church, uh, which is be- a ministry that is, by the grace of the Lord, will grow, and we're thankful for those who do serve on the host team. David has been coming here since like the third week we planted the church, like five years ago. So he knows all the jokes that I say before I say them. He doesn't laugh. He mocks them. And so um, it's, it's, but he, he's a brother who loves the Lord, loves his wife, loves his cakey. 
and he has been a deacon candidate, and we actually are moving towards finalizing his candidacy. And so we want to present him to you, the church, lay his name on the table for you to say, if there is a reason biblically, not like a preference that you have for David, as though you don't like the way he parts his hair, it should be parted the other way or whatever, but if there's a legitimate reason why you think biblically that David does not meet the uh, the qualifications of a deacon according to the scriptures. You've got a couple of weeks to, to let us know. You can come let me know. You can come let Leo know. Or you can just shoot us an email at aloha at showbreakchurch.com if you kind of don't want to have that confrontation time. That being said, all things anonymous go in the trash bin. Either way, whether it be written letter or we want your name on it. We want to know a reason why as to why you think he wouldn't meet the, uh, the qualifications of being a deacon in this church. But the candidacy has gone really well. I'm blessed by him, and I, as I know, many of you have been blessed by David. And so I just wanted to set that out there for you. Well, we are in the beginning of a series in the book of Colossians. And so far, we've made our way halfway through the first chapter of Colossians. And we're, we've pretty much, so far, have only looked at Paul's prayer. Really, the opening uh, lines and verses of this book are Paul praying for the Christians in Colossae. And as Paul prays for them, he prays for them with intention. He prays for them with compassion. He prays for them with intercession. He prays for them. And as he prays for them in the beginning of this book, he prays that they would be filled with knowledge. Paul, as he prays for them, he prays that they would walk worthy in a manner of the gospel. That they would walk worthy lives because of what Christ has done for them. Paul prays that they would be strengthened by the power of the gospel. What an incredible prayer. Paul doesn't pray like us sometimes. Lord, bless his day. Whatever that means. Amen. Right? We're going to pray for the food. And we pray for the food that somehow this junk food that is before us, it would be a blessing and nourish our bodies. We pray for things like that. Amen, right? Paul doesn't pray those type of prayers. He prays for intention with passion and intercession that they would be filled with knowledge, walk worthy, be strengthened by the power of the gospel. And so the question then is in praying for them, how will they be filled with knowledge? How will they be strengthened? How will they, how will they walk worthy in a manner of the gospel. By knowing the true Jesus. That's how. Paul isn't going to wishfully pray that they be strengthened, that they walk worthy in a manner of the gospel without giving them Jesus. And so the answer to his prayer is verse 15 to verse 20 of Colossians chapter 1. Know this Jesus, if we're going to be strengthened, if we're going to be empowered, if we're going to walk worthy, if we are going to be filled with knowledge, we must know who this Jesus is. The Jesus, not as we've envisioned him, but the Jesus as described for us here in these verses. For we will never truly glorify Jesus if we do not rightly know him. So this, this is the Jesus Paul is going to present to us. And if you can't tell, I'm a little bit excited about this message, just because I am. And this is part one of a two-part message. So hopefully next week um, you will be able to join us as well. But for part one of This is Jesus, we begin in verse 15. 
It's not who I think Jesus is. It's not who you think Jesus is. It's what has the Bible declared about Jesus. And Paul says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. So this Jesus, we are told here, is the image of the invisible God. And that language is pretty consistent throughout the Bible, that God is invisible, for no man has seen God. John chapter 1, verse 18. In fact, if anyone says, I've had a vision of God, like I've seen God. Uh, no, you haven't. Sorry, you haven't. You're deceived. You're, you're really deceived. You've been Because no one has seen God. No one has had a vision of God. But Jesus, who is the incarnate word of God, Jesus who stepped out of heaven, who came to this earth as a visible, tangible person, is the incarnate word of God. God become flesh. The word become flesh who dwelt among us. John chapter 1. So Jesus leaves his throne in heaven, comes to dwell among this earth, and Jesus is fully God in his deity. He is God, but he is fully God and fully man. He is completely entire fully man. His, his deity is clothed with human skin. Jesus was very much a person like you and me. He was not 50% man or 50% God, not half and half. He's not a hybrid. He was not one or the other. Jesus entirely God, Jesus entirely man. And if we want to see the image of the invisible God, Jesus is the image of that. In other words, if you want to see God, you will not see God, but if you look to Jesus, you have seen God. In fact, some people will say, well, hold up, Travis, time out. Hold up. Jesus, some people think foolishly believe, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Right? So some people say, those are not intellects, mind you. Those are people of ignorance who make this, oh, yeah, you Christians believe, yeah, I believe the Bible's a good book and Jesus is a good person, but Jesus never claimed to be God. Nonsense. Jesus did claim to be God. Paul is going to make this case here in Colossians chapter 1. Um, in fact, if you just read through the Gospel of John or even other passages in the New Testament, it is explicitly clear that Jesus claimed to be God. Jesus never claimed to be merely a man. You will not find that in the Bible. In fact, Jesus himself was crucified at the hands of the Romans because the Jews wanted him crucified for what crime? Historically, what crime? Blasphemy, right? Because he claimed to be God. And that's what Jesus was crucified for, his claim to be God. In fact, this verse here, it says that he is the image of the invisible God. So Jesus is the sight of what we cannot see of God who is invisible. And he is the image of the invisible God, which means Jesus is God. Now, I don't always use Stephen Colbert for theology, but I think he's got something right on this. Stephen Colbert, he says, uh, the son of a duck is what? A duck. So Jesus is the son of God, and if Jesus is the son of God, that means he is, in fact, God. Now, we're, we're not going to hang our hat on Stephen Colbert's theology and move on and be like, point done. We're going to continue to dig into this, but the idea of Jesus being the image of the invisible God is similar to me and my boys. In fact, my boys have said that some of you have called my boys Travis. And their names aren't Travis. I'm Travis. 
They're not Travis, but you've called Sebastian Kern or Alistair uh, Travis. And why is that? Because they image me, which is somewhat sobering and sad, but they image me for better or for worse. They image me, and that's oftentimes why they're called Travis, because they bear a resemblance of, of my nature, of my character, of course, of my wife's nature and character too. If it's, if it's godly, it's probably from my wife, not so much if it's from, from me. Uh, but they, they bear the image and the resemblance. And so if Jesus, in fact, the image of God, Jesus, he bears the resemblance, he images his father. That's who Jesus is. In fact, if you remember the story when Jesus uh, was talking story with his disciples, in John chapter 14, and he, he was telling them he's about to head to the cross. He's about, before that, he's going to be betrayed. He's going to go on trial, and he's preparing them for what's about to take place. And he's reminding them, and he's saying, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to go ahead of you, and where I'm going, I will go to prepare a place for you, a, a mansion, actually, which is pretty awesome to think about. God's going to prepare a mansion for those who are his, who believe in him. And, and so... Philip is understandably excited about this. And Jesus says, and if you want to go to eternal paradise with me, if you want to have everlasting life, Jesus famously said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father but by me. That is to say that the only way we have everlasting eternal life is exclusively, only, and and through the person of Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, okay, you want this paradise, you want to get to heaven, you want to have this mansion prepared for you, and you want to be with me, then you must believe in me, and you must believe that I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and Philip at this point is like, you kidding me? This is awesome. We got a mansion, we're going, Jesus is the way, I've been following Jesus, so I must know the way. And so Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So Philip is excited. And he's like, just show me God. If I just see God, if I can experience God, if I can know God the Father, then that is going to be enough for me. If I'm able to see God, that is all I need. And Jesus answered him, John 14, 9, and said, have I been with you so long? Philip, have I been with you so long and still you do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. You've seen me, Philip? Then you've seen the Father. Because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. You don't have to have an encounter with God the Father. You can have an encounter with me because I am God. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. Jesus is God. And because, in part, He is the image of the invisible God. In fact, Hebrews 1.3 reinforces this. I just want you to hear, please bookmark it, go there later. You can go there right now if you want. But Hebrews 1.3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus says, He is the exact imprint of His nature. He upholds the universe by the power of His word after making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. This is Jesus. 
the radiance of the glory of God. You want to see the glory of God, see Jesus. You want to know the nature, the exact imprint of his nature, see Jesus. If you want to know who God is and what God is like, look to Jesus. If you want to know what God loves, look at what Jesus loves. If you want to know how God treats outcasts, look at how Jesus loves and accepts the reject. If you want to know how God feels towards broken people who are stuck in their sin, look at the woman caught in adultery. If you want to know how God deals with prideful people, look to how Jesus ruthlessly judges and abhors the Pharisees. And if you want to know how much the love of God has been extended graciously towards you, look to the suffering servant hanging on the cross for your sin and for mine. What hope is there for you to know and believe in an invisible God? The answer is Jesus. That's our hope. Jesus is our only ultimate supreme hope because he is the image of what we cannot see. Now, does this mean then, does this mean that Jesus is simply God the Father now living out and expressing himself in the person of Jesus? Some people teach that. Some cults believe that. Some people even waving the banner of Christianity actually believe that. Now, I don't mean to to lose some of you on this point, but the theologically, this is called modalism, at least for some, modalism. And, and the reason why I think this is important is because several churches here in Kona and on this island even, some that you have attended, I know because I've talked story with you, you used to go there. Some, you still have friends and family who attend those churches, have in their statement of faith, they actually believe in modalism. Well, Travis, like you don't go to other churches on Sunday, I presume, which the answer is I don't because I'm here. How do you know that? You can just go on their statement of faith, see what they believe. And in some of these churches that a lot of people are going to, in their statement of faith, say we believe that there is one God who manifests himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And just so you know, that's heresy. Because they do not believe in the Trinity when they say they believe that God manifested himself. God did not manifest himself in three persons because if that's true, then Jesus is not a member of the Trinity. And if there is not a Trinity, one God who eternally exists in three persons, then that's heresy. The reason they believe this, the modalists, and the reason, by the way, you know the people who come in suit and tie, who come knock on your door, they look super fly, suit and tie, they knock on your door. They hand you a track, Jehovah Witnesses. They actually take this verse that we're studying for, of which Paul is going to make his case. This is who Jesus is, and they twist it, and they use it for their own selfish gain. For they say, but look at the second half of verse 15. He is the firstborn of all creation. 
See, God was created, they will argue. God was made. And this is the main argument Jehovah Witnesses, even Mormons, and some modalists will make. Which is interesting that those who claim to be Christian under the banner of evangelicalism, if you will, and I use that term very loosely, will side with Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses on this issue that Jesus was in fact created. Now, simple, but he, hey, he's firstborn of all creation. Does that mean he was created then? No. A Jew reading this would have fully understood what firstborn of all creation meant. Reading this, they would have understood to be firstborn meant that you receive an inheritance from the Father. So what Paul is saying here is that all that the, all the Father, God the Father, all of his authority, all of his sovereignty, all of his power, everything that is his is Jesus because Jesus is the firstborn of all creation and everything that is the Father's is Jesus's. Paul is making that clear. Now, that wasn't made clear until Christ came in the flesh, until Jesus was, in fact, the image of the invisible God. But now that he is the image of the invisible God, he is the firstborn of all creation because all that is the Father's is now Jesus's. And it always has been. But to make this case about the power and the authority of God, Paul is going to elaborate this. See, what, what, the, what the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons and the modalists do is they take this verse out of context, failing to read. Well, how can we know we're properly understanding that verse 15, the firstborn of all creation. How do we know that truth is, not, is, is speaking of everything that he's inheriting of all his power and authority? Well, verse 16 is the answer. Look at verse 16. It's amazing. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. In case we're still wondering how much is he talking about, all things, all things were created through him and for him. So, okay, we believe, and this is what actually makes a Christian a Christian, okay? We believe here at this church what many Christians have for the last 2,000 years, that the Bible explicitly, clearly teaches that there is one God who eternally exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's the doctrine of the Trinity. That is what we believe. Not that God manifested himself and shows up at different times in different places as uh, different forms, but that he eternally exists. Jesus could not be a manifestation of God the Father if verse 16 is true. If he's created all things, then how was he himself created? It's because he wasn't created. For God has always been. He is infinite. Try to wrap your mind around that. It'll hurt, right? <laughs> but it's true. See, this is not, modalism believes that God reveals himself as Jesus, and now that Jesus' work is done, God is revealing himself as the Holy Spirit, and in the Old Testament, he revealed himself as Father to Israel. Nonsense. It's not true. If Jesus is eternal, if he created all things, and if he still holds all things together, then verse 17 must be true. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus was before all things. 
So before there was anything, there was Jesus. And in the present moment, Jesus is still holding everything together by the power of his word. Because even the history of redemption reveals the Trinity. I've made the, I've, Paul has made the case. I've hopefully made the case for, for the Trinity here. I mean, it's clear. But even if you just take a satellite image, you guys have seen the satellite images that have been coming out of of the island of in Puna and volcano area, which is so sad of, of the devastation. You just give this broad perspective of what's happening. If we're going to get a satellite image of what's happening, even in the Old Testament and the New Testament, you have the Trinity at work. You have God the Father choosing and loving a people for himself, Israel. You have God the Son, Jesus, coming and living and dying for a people. And then he ascends into heaven and then God the Father and God the Son send God the Spirit to empower those people to do God's mission. See, it's the Trinity at work. Now you might be thinking right now, Travis, aren't you splitting hairs? Right? Come on, Travis, seriously, make this such a big deal. Aren't you splitting hairs on such a minor thing? Such a small issue? That goes against Paul's argument. According to Paul, there is nothing small or insignificant when it comes to Jesus. All things, Paul says, were created by him. That's not a small or insignificant thing. Everything on this earth, in the cosmos, things that are seen, things that are unseen, were created by Jesus. Everything and all creation is held together by Jesus. Jesus, he has no rivals. Jesus has no equals. He is the image of the invisible God. He is eternal. He is sovereign. He is the creator of all things. In fact, verse 16 goes on to say that whether it be visible or invisible, invisible, blah, invisible, thrones or dominions or rulers and authorities, all things were created through him and for him. This is how big Jesus is. He creates everything seen and unseen. And because he is the firstborn of creation, he has received all sovereignty from God the Father. Every king is in his place. Every boundary and every nation is set. In fact, your life is the way that it is, even as Alex talked about earlier, that God's providence is at work in such a way that everything is going exactly according to his plan. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. This is how big Jesus is, so much so that he holds all Things together, verse 17. All things. Held together by what? By his brute force? No, just by his word. He can speak it and hold everything together. God can speak the universe and hold the universe together. Now, I'm saying this because I want you guys to see we are not left with some abstract, vague understanding of God, are we? We have a clear, specific description of God, of Jesus' nature and character. And so we aren't left with some abstract understanding of who God. And so the question then is, is this Jesus described here in these verses, the Jesus you love, the Jesus you trust, and the Jesus you believe? If you believe in a, if you if not, if you do not believe in this Jesus, you are worshiping an imaginary idol that you've created in your mind 
that does not exist who happens to be named Jesus. Or if you're Spanish, say habla espanol, Jesus, right? Just saying. You're worshiping an idol if your Jesus is anything less than the Jesus described here in these verses. I'm saying this because we have such a shallow understanding in modern-day Christianity of Jesus. These truths we're defending right now and fighting for, people have been burned at the stake for. And we can say all day, oh, I really love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love Jesus so much. Awesome. Great. Some people will say, Jesus is my everything. Glad to hear it. Others will say, Jesus is just so good for me. All right. All right. Or I just feel so near to Jesus. Okay. Or I'm just so in love with Jesus. Have you said that before? Yeah, but usually the people say, I'm just love, love, love. I love Jesus. They say it again and again. Why? Why? What about Jesus makes him good? What do you love about this person you so claim to love? Me as well. I'm included in this. What? Why is Jesus near to us? Why? It's not enough to feel. You can't feel good about Jesus. You need more than feelings. It, when, when love is not tied to reason or reality, it is not love. It is an emotional high. Come on, you guys know what I'm talking about. You know that, that friend, that cousin, someone you know, they just fall in love with this chick, and there's like five minutes, you're like, I'm going to get married, we're going to have five kids. It's like, dude, you, bro, you just met her. Like, you don't actually know that. It's like, yeah, well, what, you said, well, what do you love about that person? Well, you, she's beautiful. And she's, she's funny. And, I mean, we're laughing because we know that love is not tied to reasons. Now, in that moment, that's an emotional high. It's feeling good, but that does not translate to actually love because love must be tied to reason and reality. We need to know Jesus. That is the case Paul is making here. It's not enough to say, I feel good about him. I like him. I like the idea of him. He makes me, he's near, and I, and I just love him so much. No, we should desire to understand his nature and his character. We need to pray. We need to study. We need to meditate on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. In fact, this is what Paul is praying for, that we would be filled with knowledge and understanding. Isn't that what he's praying for early in this chapter? And he's answering that question here. And so my, 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 I would just encourage you guys to do this, to, to sit down this week and go through verse 15 to verse 20 and meditate and write down areas and write questions and do further investigation and think about who Jesus is and really reflect on, is that the Jesus you're worshiping? Paul prays that we would be filled. I told you guys we're going to get excited. And on this note, I just have to say this. Because those who aspire to it, it's about feeling, and it's about all these things. Truth is not the enemy of worship. Oh, he's got so many verses, he's got so many truths to talk about, so much theology. What? 
Truth is not the enemy of worship. It is the gateway to rightly worshiping God. But to worship God in spirit without much truth is at best shallow and at worst dangerous. And I'm going to go on a rant here, but that is why I cannot stand worship songs that are emotionally moving with epic instrumentals, with catchy lyrics that sing no meaningful deep truths about Christ. We're just like the boyfriend who met that, the girl for the first time. They're not even dating yet. We're like, I just love you, I love you, I love you, I feel so good. Why? Why? And like, well, it's because the instrumental is just so epic and it builds up so good. That's not why I'm listening to worship music, okay? Put on some Coldplay. You want that? Put on Coldplay. You want your rhythm? You want your group? Native FM, they got some, Okay. Uh, on this note, just to show, just to show how, it's, it, I wish this story wasn't true, but it's true. <laughs> just to show how shallow modern Christians are in their understanding, thinking that truth is somehow the enemy of worship. Toby Morell is a Christian artist. For those of you who are into Christian punk, uh, you guys know uh, he's a lead guy for Emery, the, the punk band for Emery. I was able to st- talk story with him a while back for like a couple of days. He was actually studying for his master's in theology. And it was cool because we got to sit, talk story. Uh, for a while about Jesus and his knowledge of Jesus, and we went back and forth. And the guy, I'll just say the guy knows Jesus. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because last year, to illustrate how shallow Christian worship has become and how naive Christians are, he wrote a, a song called Forever Rain. And not forever rain as in rain on the throne, but forever rain as in raindrops falling from the sky. So he wrote this song called Forever Rain, and, and he did it as a joke. It's theologically all over the place. It's a mess. And as a joke, the song broke the top 25 in Christian gospel music on iTunes. And to this day, it is his most popular song he's ever written. And it's a joke. Is our faith, are our affections anchored in knowing and understanding Jesus? Again, it goes back to why. And this is not just true for worship. Sadly, many pastors are no different. Some pastors, you can go to church on Sunday. There's a lot of churches you can go to on Sunday. I mean, you're here by the grace of God. You're here, and we're thankful that you're here. There's a lot of other churches you can go where you can get your pep talk. You can get your feel-good message. You can get a few Bible verses taken out of context, slapped together. that are given a motivational speech, somehow making it seem like God is all about you, and he's centered around you, even though he, we are not in the center of the universe. We're not the ones holding all things together. He is, yet, are we growing are our sermons, are our songs, are our devotions leading us to knowing, understanding, and loving Jesus? This wonderfully, we took um, a book from Worship Matters. I mentioned this, and I haven't read the book, but there is this, this, the whole book, but there's this short paraphrase in the book of Worship Matters. And what if this pastor asks the question, what if we took all of our modern-day worship songs put them in a book, would they have the gospel in them? 
And would they have enough truth about Jesus so that we could worship him and know him and grow in our understanding of him? A lot of them know. And we sing weird things about being in a secret place and all other disturbing types of things and worship songs that are really weird. Why take the time to go on this rant and to talk so much about Jesus? Paul is making the case to Christians and Colossae, Jesus is far greater than you ever realize. And this morning, by God's providence, I'm here to remind you, Jesus is greater than you realize this morning. However big you view Jesus, it's still not big enough. He is still not great enough. He is still not holy enough. He is still not righteous enough. He is still not just enough. We see through a glass dimly, but one day we will see face to face. But as we see through the glass dimly, we pursue to know him. We pursue to understand him because he is so significant. Paul makes the argument, all things were created by him. All things were created by him. That every breath that we have in our lungs is on loan from God. We are held together by him, so we exist to glorify him. So the question then that I have, that I want you to consider, is have we, be, have we become bored with the most exciting news and truth ever known to man? Have our affections for Jesus grown cold because we've lost awe of his redemptive work? Have we taken our eyes off of creator and placed our eyes on creation and we've begun to worship created things rather than creator God? Who is worthy to be praised? In what areas have you wandered in your life from things of first importance? If we're going to be honest with ourselves, there isn't one of us who doesn't need to be reoriented back to the gospel and be reminded of the supremacy of Christ. We all need it. And let me just have an, because some of you are like, if you're going to be honest, you're like, I don't, if you don't care, if you've lost interest, or if you are apathetic and bored with Jesus, let me just encourage you to be honest with God about it. You can handle it. God, I'm, I'm kind of bored with your gospel. This message, a whole message on who Jesus is. Come on, seriously. Maybe you could have preached these notes better than I. I this sermon better than I could have. Ask God the Holy Spirit to awaken and stir your affections for Jesus afresh this morning. I hope my yelling has not come across as me beating this over the head with you. If anything, by the grace of God, I'm here to stir and arouse your affections so that you would desire to know this Jesus. Eternal life hinges and depends on it. There is no greater knowledge you can have or you can pursue than Jesus. I recommend you pick up this book someday. Maybe we can have it on the, the book table for you guys, but it's, it's J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. Oh, if you're, if you're a reader, please it's, it's, do yourself a favor and get the book, Knowing God, J.I. Packer. 
Jerry Packer, in this book, I just want to read a short quote from him. He says, What makes life worthwhile? What makes life worthwhile is having a big enough objective, something which catches our imagination and lays hold of our allegiance. And this the Christian has in a way that no other person has. For what higher, more exalted, more compelling goal can there be than to know God? What has captivated your imagination? Is it big enough? What has your allegiance? Is it worthwhile? I just want to close with this simple yet obvious thought. God has desired to make himself known to you through Jesus. And God has made himself known to you in the word. He wants you to know him. That he is the image of God as God. That he is the firstborn of creation. That he has inherited all authority and sovereignty from God. That he is creator. And that he as creation entered his own creation and was killed by his own creation to save that creation from their sins. To save sinners from their sins. And even now he is holding all things together. Believe in Jesus, this Jesus. Be awakened by this Jesus. Be reinvigorated by his supremacy. Love you. Let's pray. Father God, Jesus and you and your Holy Spirit are far greater than we can see or imagine right now. Yet even in this moment, you awaken and stir our affections. For those this morning, as we pray, maybe if you're going to be honest with yourself, you're just dull, flat out bored, or you don't know Jesus. As we're praying right now, as our heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and you've, if you've heard anything I've said, if you've heard anything that the Word of God has revealed to you, that God the Spirit would stir your affections afresh. That he would awaken in you a desire not based on emotion, but based on truth. So that when emotions come or emotions go, our knowledge remains. That we would stand on him. Lord Jesus, may you do that by your Spirit. For what higher, what more exalted, more compelling goal is there in life than to knowing you? May we walk worthy because you have made us worthy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.